0: Hello oh, and welcome to episode nine of Late Night Linux, recorded on the seventeenth of April, twenty seventeen. I'm Joe, and with me are Jesse, Hello World, and Aiki.
1: Also, Hello World.
0: <laughs> yes, no um, fail him, unfortunately. Busy with work, I think. But we'll soldier on as a three-man team again. We will be covering a bit more Ubuntu stuff later. Uh, that saga just seems to run on and on and on. Uh, but before that, I suppose we better talk about some news stories. And the first one almost affects you, Aiki, and that is that uh, Samsung's Tizen is riddled with security flaws and is amateurishly written, according to this Ars Technica article. Tizen is something that you did work on, isn't it, Aiki? But thankfully, apparently, all of this um, amateurishly written code was added long after your time, so you're uh, off the hook.
1: Yeah, I'm off the hook here. And the, the article does go to on um, to explain that most of the editions and most of the, maybe like the cock ops were added after the collaborative period between Intel and Samsung. So I am well and truly off the hook here. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, they might be using adaptations of forks, what I originally wrote, but they're, they're not my problems. <laughs>
0: so. Yeah. I mean, look, there's some specifics in this, which was just fucking moonspeak to me, but presumably, it was, it sounds like it's amateurish as the headline suggests. Yeah.
1: I mean, there are there, some of the examples that are given there is like using the string copy functions. Um, some of the C functions, I mean, C is an old language, right? It's been around for donkey's years, right? There are some things that you just don't do. So if you're dealing with arbitrary input or just arbitrary strings, the, the thing is with C is. You, you basically need to know how big your strings are and how big your storage is. So it, it's kind of like trying to get an elephant into a purse. It's going to overflow, right? And that's basically the premise here. So in use, instead of using the string copy functions, you should be using string n copy, which basically says copy this amount of the string into the storage. They're not doing things like that, which is very, 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 very basic, see, you know, how not to fuck up. So that's kind of surprising that they would be doing that.
0: And this doesn't look good, does it, given that basically Tizen is the only other Linux-based
1: operating system still going. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you, you kind of hope it would be better because if you're going to compete against Android, which is now starting to come up in the enterprise, you know, you've got politicians using that. And then, you know, Tizen's like, hey, use us, except, shh, don't look at that stuff.
2: Yeah, obviously, we've covered uh, Ubuntu stopping their phone, so that's that dead in the water. We've got Tizen, which is uh, not looking great. And then uh, our Finnish friends with uh, the one that I can never remember the name of. Yola,
0: Sailfish. Exactly,
2: but but Yola, sel- uh, yeah, Sailfish OS, that seems like a... That that's going from strength to strength. You know, we recently heard about um, the Russian government saying that they're going to use that as their main code for, for phones. So maybe that's going to, you know, really embed uh, and move forward, especially if it can use Android apps, you know, like it, like we've, we've reviewed. Um, but it does sound like this uh, Tizen code is, is they say sloppily done and, and they're not only putting it on phones, they're putting it on their smart TVs and they've already been hacked twice, I think, if I remember rightly. So it, does look like a company who are good at making uh, basically hardware are clearly not so good at writing their software.
0: Heads are going to roll over this article I reckon and this this whole kerfuffle. I would imagine there's going to be some firings at Samsung.
2: But do you not think it's more like make something and who cares how the back end works? I assume that sort of Big companies like this want to make something to say, "Look, we can make our own software." And the fact that you can rip it apart if you look closely enough, like this uh, Israeli researcher did uh, that wrote this article, if you if you are able to, to take it apart and and find those holes, that's not actually their number one concern. It's our number one concern. It's the concern of you know people in the tech industry, and what I view. But when it comes to you know the, the horrendous phrase "normals." They just want it to look nice, run smoothly, and, and have the apps both on the phone and the TV that they want to work. Yeah, but
0: once they start getting hacked and compromised, then they're going to get a bit
2: pissed off, aren't they? Do you think we've transitioned into a world where security is a number one priority now? What, you mean that people don't give a shit? yeah I mean I know that it is often in the news. I know the the talk about um credit cards being leaked from you know big companies and what have mm-hmm. you and holes in LastPass and what, all these sorts of things are talked about a lot, but is that because we're in a you know an echo chamber whereas actually uh from Samsung's point of view, having some slick software and okay, a few people are moaning about the security issues whatever they having the slick software that you know millions or billions of people are going to use is the important point, and if they lose a few passwords here and there, what's the massive deal? I wonder if we have transitioned into a world where people do think about security and are concerned with keeping things up to date and and making sure that there aren't subtle you know uh, subtle massive holes in the code itself. I don't know, I think it still reflects very badly on them. I
0: think that people will eventually um, start
1: caring about it. Surely they've got to. I think if you look anywhere, you're going to find problems. Obviously, you know, not normally to this scale. But, you know, I mean, this kind of speaks to the importance of code review. You know, having your peers look things over, making sure there's a formal process, simple things like blacklisting functions you should never use. You know, had all these things been properly in place with this, it just wouldn't have happened in the first place, you know. Sometimes to think you need that little bit of red tape, that little bit of bureaucracy, because in the end, it doesn't add that much to what you have to do, but it results in a far greater project or product. So it it kind of speaks to process for me rather than the end result. Management. Well, I I wouldn't even go as far as to say it was management, you know, like... If you have like a few core mantras in place of your developers, then these things can be avoided. You can, you can write the best software in the world and at some stage you're going to hit something, you know, there is going to be this one little co- uh, line of code you didn't check or something wasn't properly initialized and bam, you have a seg fault, right? This stuff happens. But if, if you think about it proactively when you're writing it and you've got this, these set of things that you always do, Then a lot of it can be avoided. And then obviously if you throw in static analysis tools and continuously scan what you've done and what you have committed, you're a lot better off again. You know, you you can trust the human eyes so much and then bring in the tooling as well. So there are ways to mitigate a lot of this. It's, it's kind of impossible to mitigate all of it. You know, things are going to happen, but yeah, process is kind of the key thing here.
0: Yeah, fair enough. All right. Well, let's talk about another project um and let's talk about bdsm and master slave sexual relationships what on a linux podcast i cannot believe that we're going to talk about this i cannot believe that drupal doesn't have enough management and hr department in place for me to
1: not know about this just wow is
2: my reaction so far to this whole thing wow so the backstory that uh joe and ikea referring to there is that the benevolent dictator for drupal um has quietly asked one of their um contributors to leave so the guy is gary gary larfield larry garfield and he as joe pointed out has some personal interests which maybe aren't the appetite of other people um and it's it's Come to light in a way that seems underhand in the way that some of the um, Drupal key players have dug up the information and reported the information. And this benevolent dictator, Dries Boitart, uh, then quietly went and had a word uh, with Larry and said it was probably best if he stepped down because the things he does in his personal life are not in line with the way that Drupal believes things should be done. And this has been. Uh, released, So Larry came public and said, look, this is what I enjoy doing in my spare time. I've been pushed out of the project because of it. And about 80 or so devs uh, and former CEOs or, or companies that use Drupal have signed a, a big petition, a letter that says... We think you should reinstate him. We think this is all very underhand. It shouldn't be uh, your personal life that reflects on whether or not you've been employed by Drupal, da, da, da. So there's been back and forth between this benevolent dictator and the, the people who have written this petition. And it, like you say, Joe, it all just seems to be sort of a bit out of control. And for a project that's this big, it, it seems like it should have some control.
0: Yeah, I mean, the the key issue, when I first heard about it, I just heard that the fellow was into BDSM, and I thought, well, okay, if he was working for, uh, you know, Blue Peter or some children's TV show, maybe that would be inappropriate, but what's that got to do with anything? But the crux of it is he's into a bit more than BDSM. It's this um, gore thing, which is G-O-R, not gore as in uh, blood and stuff. It's it, like master-slave stuff, and... um treating women badly even though they are consenting to it so it's a bit of a murky water it's it's more complicated than it first seems but regardless of that I, I don't really even care to make a judgment on whether or not he should have been fired it's just it shouldn't be any of our business we shouldn't be talking about this what's far more important here is the mismanagement of this they should have an HR department that is dealing with this internally and we've seen a similar story um, with Coreboot, haven't we? Where that all got blown out, and that is a much smaller project. Fair enough. And you think that lessons would be learned? I mean, it's the kind of thing that potentially, I K, you are going to run into as the Solus project grows. I mean, have you put in place, or are you thinking oh, about into putting anything. in place? no not you i'm not saying you're dodgy you when a bloody tampon advert comes on you have to leave the room you were supposed to tell people that (laughs) oh sorry
1: (laughs) but yeah i mean look i personally find it kind of disgusting that we're in a situation where we have to talk about another man's personal life you know i'm kind of at the view you you leave your shit at the door whether i'm not going to I'm not going to talk on what he's into or what he's done because, frankly, it's none of my fucking business. Exactly. And the fact is, from Drupal's perspective, it's none of anybody's fucking business. So we're at a point now where it's in the public light, and again, it, it doesn't it doesn't go into the what; it's the why. Is everyone aware of this? And does it really impact what he's doing? No, it's an image preservation thing. And is it really? An open industry and open source. If the, it, again, it's alignment of freedoms, isn't it? You know, like if, if your view of freedom and openness is in line with my view of freedom and openness, then it is freedom and openness. Otherwise it's not. And I mean, that, that kind of goes to a starker attitude that exists in the, the free software world anyway. Mm. You see it quite a lot. It, it's freedom until you disagree and then it's okay to oppress somebody else's freedom. And that—that's kind of how this feels to me, but magnified at a much more terrific level. Um, I mean, if it—if it happened in Soulless, then basically, don't tell me your personal business. I've got no fucking interest in it, right? Don't get me wrong. If I find out later you're a dodgy sort for other reasons, then yeah, you're gone. You know, like the obvious kind of reasons. That's something completely different. Yeah, but fuck it. It's, it's none of my business and that's how it should be for a lot of people well of course
0: in this case but i'm talking about a wider point here that as your project grows i mean it started off just you and now you've got more and more people involved with it Mm. and as it grows and and develops and and sprawls you you're going to run into not necessarily problems specifically like this but you're Mm. going to run into personnel problems and how do you deal with that like surely you have to have
1: some you know procedures in place to deal with it yeah i mean yeah, You've got all these things, you know, like... So for here, it'd be European laws, you know, fair dismissals, making sure that it's handled internally first, you know, because you don't want to blow it up in public because everyone now has an opinion on it, and that's the last thing you want, anyone having an opinion on your decisions. You know, it's the sort of things that you avoid unless that's absolutely necessary, where it's product decisions and business decisions. When it comes to employees, that stuff should stay inside, behind closed doors. And ideally, you'd want to deal with it like that first and avoid at any possible cost it exploding like this. That's that's my take on it, anyway. You'd avoid this situation right now.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, hopefully they can learn from this and we won't have any more of it. And
2: hopefully other projects will as well. But do you have a a code of conduct or anything, Ike? Don't be a dickhead. (laughs) Interpreted by the benevolent dictator, yeah?
1: Not really no I mean if you're causing problems in the community it really does come down to are you a bellend <laughs> and if you are then goodbye you know but who decides that though you it, it, not always no what if you're being a bellend so fucking what it's my <laughs> Your privilege. project it's my privilege right <laughs> You know, it's part of parcel of the project. You know, you've got to work with me to work with the project. If you can't do that, then we're not going to work together. It, it, that's just how it is. You know, it, as much as this is a slightly professional project, it's also a personal thing as well. You've got to work with a guy in charge, and that happens to be me. Um Code of conduct, not so much. I mean, we have some sort of community rules, which is basically, you know, no post, posting of pornography, spam, illegal links, uh, no directly attacking people, that kind of thing. We we kind of have a policy of it's sort of all right to fuck about a little bit in the off-topic channels. You know, you can take the piss casual as friends would do. You know, like slight digs and take the piss out of each other. But it's all done if it's done in jest, that's fine. It's when start people start being vicious and vindictive, that's when I will step in and give them a warning. And if they don't change the ways, I will fuck them out with no hesitation. You know, but I think that's that just comes down to common sense and again not being a dickhead.
2: So I'm just looking on the the Drupal uh, Wikipedia page, and it has down in that sort of uh, core box of info the original author or authors is uh, Drys Buutart, and, and that was 16 years ago. And I wonder if, as the original author, he holds that it's my baby, therefore I can, you know, make the rules or or push people in or push people out as I see fit, and perhaps Drupal is now outgrown that sort of small niche i mean I, I agree with what you're saying ike when it's when you're in a, a team of you know below 50 you can be quite uh sort of di- di- dictatorial over it but when you're in a team that is you know spread over the world and there's tens and hundreds and you know the code base is massive and all these sorts of things you start to need as I, as joe's pointing out some sort of uh hr department or at least uh, an acknowledgement that you can't just chuck people out without some yeah. sort of process
1: yeah i mean there are laws there are repercussions and there are ways of doing things i mean at the moment something like Solus, it's you know nobody's paid nobody's employed it's just a case of you know do we still accept things in the project and nothing really ever comes to that point you know people know how to be and everyone gets along but once you get to the point where you are employing people you have a bigger team then yeah you need you need proper people in charge who is going like, these are who we hire, you know, this is how we fire people. This is the process for it. This is the, the notice we need to give them. This is the severance package. You know, you need all of that stuff and make sure you're in compliance with local laws. Once I get to a point where I'm able to employ people with solace, then yeah, I, I'm going to get an expert to do it because I'm not going to do it myself. Because I don't want to find myself up in court and say, well, you know, this is unfair dismissal and have this situation where it's all over the internet because you've done something bad, according to other people. So, yeah, I would fully agree with Joel that you do need people in place for that. You need infrastructure for that. Governance is the word, isn't it? Basically, yeah. You know, because at the end of the day, even if you are at the top of the project, you know, you you still need a filter between you and everybody else. Yep.
0: Right. So let's talk about uh, Status.net. I mean, Identica. I mean, GNU Social. Uh, I mean, Mastodon. They keep giving it new names. And finally, one has worked by the sounds of things. Mastodon is the, the Twitter clone that has exploded in the last couple of weeks. Do we care? Should we care?
2: So is this all the same code that's just been and and repolished?
0: Well, it's kind of based on and this and forked off that and rewritten in Ruby on the other. So, I mean, it's not the same code base. It's not just literally rebadged. It's an evolution, basically. And it's never been massive. There are people listening who would potentially disagree and probably use it every day. Um, but there was a time when it was doing all right, and then it fell out of favor, and Twitter just became like the main one. And Google+, Plus, I think, to some extent... Um, displaced it but now it seems that mastodon which is it's not just a straight clone of twitter because it's more complicated than that well <laughs> it, it it is but it isn't it's a clone of tweet deck well the interface is but mm. the, the 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 whole federated nature of it is not because with twitter there is one instance twitter.com or apps that connect to apis that go to twitter.com basically whereas with mastodon Anyone can host an instance. It's all open source. And then you people can sign up on your instance, but because it's federated, those instances can talk to each other. They don't always, but they can. And so you get this complication of if your instance is talking to your friends, you know, the the instance that your friend has signed up on, then it's all hunky-dory. But if someone has been spamming on one of the instances, then they won't it'll get blocked and they won't talk to each other, that sort of thing. So it becomes Far, far too complicated, even for someone like me. Because, yes, I do understand how it works, and I could get used to how it works, but I am far too lazy, and I'm not going to. Where Whereas Twitter is just easy. It's just you follow someone, they follow me, I tweet, people see it, whatever. You can DM people. I actually signed up. Well, so did I, and I signed us up. We're on there. I can't even remember what instance we're on, because the main one, Mastodon.social, I think it was, mm just got flooded and had to close sign-ups.
1: Yeah, I signed up. It was last night, Last night, early hours this morning. I I don't know. I, I have no concept of time right now. I uh, signed up, and I was like, which one do I go on? Because I knew about Mastodon.rocks, and I got told to go on Mastodon.cloud. I'd been pinged to join there. Um, it was uh, Shrey from the Gnome Foundation. It was Ryan Sipes apparently pinging me over there. So I thought, well, I'll go check it out. I signed up and they told me to go on Mastodon.cloud because you need to know the exact one to go on, which is a bit yeah Signed up. And then I'm trying to find people to add. And it just kept coming up. There was like, oops, there was an error. Oops, there was an error. And I'm trying this with everything. But I thought, okay, well, this is one of those, you know, fancy HTML5 single page applications. So I refreshed it. Fucking server was gone. <laughs> it already died on me. So... Not great first impressions.
2: Uh, that just shows you how popular it is. That's, that's how. No, that's how...
1: no. I mean, it's got a tweet deck UI. There are, you know, there are some kind of problems with the UI, but you could get used to it once you realise that you have to clear those notifications out, otherwise you're never going to get anywhere.
0: Well, can we just address that? It doesn't have a tweet deck UI on mobile, which is what most people would be using it on. I would think okay i am a lowly desktop peasant (laughs) yeah okay well okay probably most of the kind of people who are using mastodon are desktop peasants like you but normal people who this is not going to appeal to are using mobile and there is an app i think it's called tusky which i've checked out and it seems basically the same as twitter but slightly less pretty and there's a, a fairly reasonable mobile you know mobile web experience as well um but I just—the main point here is that it's exploded, and loads of people have signed up. But does it have any legs? Are people really going to stick around there? And I don't know. It's—it's just that that network effect problem that you need to have the people who you want to follow on there.
2: But talking about articles on, you know, the Register and Arts Technica and stuff, those are the the technical elite if you will, who are gonna jump onto new things and and make that explosion, but you know, are the normal people on there? Is is Jordan on there? Is, you know, the ex prime minister on there? Kim Kardashian. Kim Kardashian. Are calling like these it. people normal? Yeah, we're calling <laughs> we're calling <laughs> them mainstream. <laughs> so you know, I I haven't checked, but I doubt they are. And I think the point you made, Joe, about it being complicated to set up and having these uh isolated but potentially bridged um instances uh, the sort of federated way of doing it does make it more difficult. I wonder if they can iron that out by having, you know, much if if much more if many more bridges are made and therefore even though you're on different islands they all talk to each other, it wouldn't matter so much where you go. That that would get over it. I mean, there are some benefits to it, it not having adverts and things like this, you know, people are sort of sick and tired of the way that Twitter is, and the fact that when you go on, the first tweet might be one that you want, but then the second one is an advert for something you have little interest in. Uh, it can get quite jarring. So, just having a, a fresh, an actual interface that only has information from people you're following, you know, might might be the thing that that pushes it over the edge. And while it has been around for a while, Joe, it it is new and in the instance of mastodon so maybe they've got some some sort of rough edges to iron out and maybe they can work out this problem with having the federated nature which is good and we I, I personally think it's a good idea but in a way that you don't have to pick you know it doesn't really matter which one you pick you just go for any old one
0: but can i just ask this question why now why mastodon it's it's been around it with fairly similar functionality for about 10 years and yet, here we are, well, maybe not 10 years, but for a long time, and it's never taken off, and now it's started to take off. What is different about Mastodon? What, nothing. What has changed? Nothing about Mastodon.
1: It's external influence. It's Google+. So, Plus. If it's, yeah, if
2: it's nothing about Mastodon, it's got to be that that Twitter is, is going down, or people are looking for somewhere to jump, and now is the time that they've found something new, and they're they're eager to jump on something else.
1: I don't think it's anything to do with Twitter. I'm going to call it as Google+. Plus. Well, because Google+, Plus people get the feeling that they're going to kill it off soon. It's dying. Yeah, it feels like it's dying. There is definitely, I mean, they they removed the Hangouts integration. They've removed the Google+, Plus integration with YouTube. They reverted so many of the things they were doing. So they're not committed as they were to Google+, Plus anymore. It's kind of a back burner project. And when they forced change the UI on people, even to this day, people are not happy about that. And mm-hmm. then they started to second-guess their own decisions over at Google, and they started putting up a uh, little pop-up dialogues on Google+. Plus. How do you feel about the UI? <laughs> and it took so long for them to put that. I think everyone's lost a lot of confidence in Google+. And if you look at the people who are on Mastodon at the moment, you know, it's content creators, you know, artists, graphic designers, uh, you know, electronic musicians, uh, tech geeks, people like us or over on Macedon right now. They're the people that would go on Google+, Plus and then have their communities there. But Google+, Plus now, is starting to descend into a chaos that resembles the bastard child of the YouTube comment section and a Facebook advert. Yeah. <laughs> because you go on yeah. to the Linux communities, and then there would be someone like... It feels like the ASL conversations years ago in the comment section. So... People know that a ship is sinking, and I think that's a big contributor to the success of Mastodon. I mean, hell, I signed up. It's a backup plan should Google Plus actually die. And there are interesting people.
0: Something's just dawned on me there. If you had, for example, us, we could run our own instance of it. And so people could sign up and be on that, but then they, they wouldn't be just totally siloed off from everyone else. They could interact with other communities. And so I suppose in a way that would be you know it's better yeah. than
1: forums which are just so old hat and just terrible. Yeah, each server becomes kind of like uh, kind of like your your category in the forum itself and you can have an account on multiple servers so you could have like a, an art server, you could have like a tech server, you know, so they become like uh, like the original circles in Google Plus almost, you know. Mm. That's where you have them, but at, then you can still cross reference between them. So I mean the the idea is it's kind of growing on me, and I think with some small refinements over time, you know, things like inline images and gifs, you know, the, the usual nonsense you'd come to expect. I, gifs,
2: yeah. Oh, glad you said that, Joe. I was, I was biting my tongue. What gifs? You mean? Oh, fuck off! <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> These things aren't meant to be said. <laughs> They're not supposed to be said out loud. I know. Yeah, let's like, just gloss over that then. Yeah, I mean, GIFs on there. You yes, know. <laughs> <laughs> graphics interchange format. Yeah. Wait, files. wait, hold on. No, no, no. Hold on. No, no, no. Because I'm not having this. Right? It's a GIF, right? Because then you have people saying GIFs. It just sounds fucking ridiculous. No, uh, GIF sounds ridiculous. No, it doesn't. Wasn't it the founder himself who said it was supposed to be GIFs? Yeah, so, it, it was yeah. He's, wrong. <laughs> he's yeah, wrong. He's wrong. <laughs> he's well wrong. But it doesn't matter because it's not a fucking thing you would say in real life anyway. This is just a tech thing, right? It's like Linux and Debian. These are things that aren't said in normal conversations. How do you say these things to people? Like, true, LS, bash, you know. These things aren't meant to be said aloud. Yeah, I suppose, LexD, uh, all that kind of
0: stuff, yeah.
2: Yeah. (laughs) QEMU.
1: How? Cute, anyone? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, i got a cute toolkit. Someone's just going to give you very strange looks at that point. (laughs) (laughs) Pink hammer. (laughs) Well,
0: we'll see how it goes anyway with um, Mastodon. I can't even remember what instance I'm on. I may go back to it at some point, but um, we'll we'll have to see. Um, Right, so the last news story um, is not massively relevant in the details. Basically, uh, Windows subsystem for Linux has been updated in this Windows 10 Creators update. And they've added loads more functionality to it, basically. What that functionality is is pretty boring to me. I don't suppose we need to go into the details. If you're really interested, I'm sure you can read about it yourself. but the the reason that I've included this in the news is I just wanted to get uh, your takes it's a shame Phelim's not here because I know he's very into the freedom stuff. but you know, what do we think about this uh, subsystem for Windows subsystem for Linux? Um, is it going to kill? Linux on the desktop, are devs going to use Windows for their gaming and development instead of dual booting, for example?
2: I mean, like you said, there's a a lot of updates and detail in my view, and the only one that I wanted to pick up was that you can now um, load Windows commands from Bash, and vice versa. You can run Bash commands from the Windows shell, the PowerShell, what have you. So, uh, you can use ls and everything as if you're running it in a terminal on Linux, but you're in PowerShell and, and you can run Notepad from uh, you know a, a a normal shell prompt, and and that sort of interoperability, the ability to run the binaries no matter which you know command line you're in, uh, I think blurs the line even further, which is you know it's all part and parcel of what they're trying to do or, or what their aim is is to it's to make you feel like you're using whichever system you're comfortable in whether you're you know normal to running linux and linux servers but you have to do it from a windows desktop or you're used to windows and someone's told you to update a linux server and you're sort of a bit un- unsure it, it is clever in the way that they've they've made that change.
0: And it shows a massive commitment as well. This is not some Mickey Mouse project from them. They are very serious about this. They've they've been developing it and they've you know they've thrown a lot at this. They're, it's not a joke.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um and I I think it shows how worried they are about Linux being the the one system that everyone's going to use and if they don't make Windows compatible with it in a way that is incredibly uh you know like you're saying down to the very core they're gonna be left aside so that it looks like they're they're running scared i think it's cool (laughs) (laughs) i i I don't know why like
1: i read the story and it was some of the things that stood stood out to me it now they've improved their own terminal so it supports like ncurses applications so you can do things like run htop and vim and emacs and I was like, that that's kind of cool, <laughs> but I shouldn't be thinking that because it's it's on Windows. I'm not supposed to think that. But if I had to use Windows, yeah, I'd kind of use it.
0: Well, yeah, that's the point, isn't it? That mm. you're more likely to use Windows now. I mean, it's okay. You you were basically zero before. Now you're zero point zero 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 one or something likely. Yeah, but it has. If you're on the fence, if you're dual booting, I can see it it pushing people over back into Windows.
1: So we need to fight back. <laughs>
0: well, let's improve wine.
1: <laughs> yeah, that'll, that'll do it. Right. <laughs>
0: I mean, Paddy always used to say on Luddites that this is going to kill Linux on the desktop because um, certainly for developers and I don't know. I mean, you're a developer. Is is there any, okay. You're a developer of Linux distros, but you're kind of immersed in that culture. Can you see it stealing market share from Linux?
1: No. It's going to steer, steal it from Macs. You know, all the Linux developers out there with the Macs, but MacBooks, you know, and they've got all their pretty terminals set up. They're the guys that need to be fighting, really, in, in the developer front, because it's all the web developers, really. You know, it's it's going to be useful to a fair amount of people, don't get me wrong. And like you say, like the, the administrative side. But you look at any one of those conferences, what are they all running? They're all running MacBooks, you know. Oh, yeah. And they can still make use of linux and even on the native host side of it it it's unix right so it's not so different and if they need to run Linux, well they can just get a parallels vm which works fantastically you know then they can just switch between the different desktops and have linux running on a different desktop so i think that's the guys we got to be more worried about but then the attack's coming from both fronts isn't it you know like linux isn't unique to linux Linux isn't unique to Linux. Hmm. You know, it's it's stepped outside its native environment now. Where you'd expect to find it, you'd expect to build Linux on Linux. That's not really the case anymore. You can use it from pretty much anywhere on anything. Maybe the, the universal nature of Linux is its biggest threat. Certainly to the desktop, yeah. Yeah, but you know me, like everyone are telling me the desktop is dying, it's dying, it's dying it's like, yep, yep, yep. that's great put out a new release
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I suppose that we very briefly touch on that then at the end of the news Um, you are about to release uh, probably by the time this episode is edited and published you will have released uh, a new snapshot of Solus, which includes three ISOs now Three ISOs,
1: yeah Yeah Gnome 3.24, Budgie 10.3, and Mate 1.18.
2: Is the Gnome ISO new for this release?
1: Yeah, I mean, we've had Gnome and Gnome Shell and all that stuff inside of Solus for a very long time, but now it's like we know a lot of people are using it, so here's an
2: ISO with it done how we would like it to be done. Is this because you're looking at the way the canonical are going and you think that they're really blazing a trail?
1: <laughs> no, just, that's what I was going to really. say. Um,
2: <laughs> I mean, we've had it in
1: Solus for a long time. The The timing was great because it basically dampened the fires immediately, right? Um, it was already on the carrot for a long time. It's very, very easy with our infrastructure just to build a new ISO. You know, it takes 20 minutes to build one. That's a, um, and Because you had all the GNOME stuff already? Already in the budgie one, apart from GNOME Shell and GDM. But what happens when Budgie moves to cute? We'll still maintain it. That's part of the reason it's being released. Because in January, we announced that Budgie would be moving to Qt. Then we'd have all this GNOME stack. And a lot of people who want to stay on the GNOME stuff, I'm not going to leave my users high and dry. So if they want to stay on a pure GNOME experience, this is a way for them to do that. It sounds like you're going to uh, fuck off Budgie.
0: No. Like, like Ubuntu did. (laughs) No, I
1: mean, look what I did the other day. You know, I paid out 500 euros for someone to develop a feature to unblock the 10.3 release. You know, I'm in no way fucking off budgie. Yeah. I mean, and what
0: about, are you watering down your resources? Are you
1: spreading yourself too thin? Well, fuck them. They don't really know me to say that, do they? You know, I mean, I've managed to build a distro from the ground up. All the tooling infrastructure around it, half the releases, be running for a number of years now. I think I'm more than capable. People who say that only underestimate me and don't understand the concept and scope of the project.
0: You underestimate
1: my power. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Anakin. <laughs> I mean, it's not really spreading at all because, again, it takes me 20 minutes to build an ISO. We've had all the GNOME stuff in there. I mean, obviously, there would be a slight deviance when we stop using the GNOME stuff in Budgie. But, you know, I'm not maintaining it. Josh is doing that. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Well, that's enough soulless talk. Yeah, please. I've seen enough <laughs> of it this weekend.
0: So this episode is sponsored by Entware, And uh, they are a dedicated Linux computer manufacturer from the UK. And uh, they ship their computers uh, with Ubuntu and Ubuntu Mate. So 1604 or 1704. And they've got a few different laptops, um, a couple of desktops, and even a server. And it's they're pure Linux. They're not interested in Windows at all which is good to see. And they'd like to keep their product line fresh as well. So they generally have the latest Intel processors, the latest generations of them, uh, KB Lake, that sort of thing. And they've got quite a range of laptops as well, from really affordable stuff to real powerhouses. And they've got stuff that's ideal for me. I don't need any graphic stuff, but a lot of people do. And they've got the latest NVIDIA chipsets uh, with CUDA technology, all that kind of stuff. And so they're ideal for basically anyone running Linux. If you just want to do a bit of uh, browsing of Mastodon all the way up to graphic design, 3D, art, video creation, machine learning, all that kind of
1: stuff. I told you recently on Twitter, which you kind of mocked me for, but I'm going to be getting myself a laptop soon. And what's basically solved this for me is having a dedicated NVIDIA GPU, especially considering that it's got CUDA already set up for you. The reason this appeals to me is because I've started getting into a bit of machine learning myself. And as opposed to doing it on my weak little laptop that's only got an Optimus that kind of works, or one of my systems that a little nooks that, don't have any GPU. Basically, they've only got the onboard graphics. Having something like an NVIDIA GPU with a CUDA, it's very good for parallel operations, which is essential if you're doing any form of machine learning. And as I'm getting into learning all of this stuff myself, I could perhaps treat myself.
0: Nice. Well, don't forget um, when you check out, there's an option to tell them where you heard about Entraware. And so put in late night Linux and then they'll know we sent you. So check them out, entraware.com for all your Linux laptop needs.
2: Okay, like the other day, uh, I was dicking around with my um, Raspberry Pi that I use for time-lapse. Now, basically it is a Pi Zero with a camera, an SD card and a battery that sits in a Tupperware box and I can. it means I can put the Tupperware box wherever I want, plug it in and it just starts taking photos as soon as it boots up. It doesn't connect to the internet or the Wi-Fi or anything. When I want to take the photos off when I'm done, I just take the SD card out plug it into my computer and download the pictures then put it you know wipe them off put it back in off we go and I realized that this thing's been sat in this box and every time I use it I just plug the battery in and go and I never have to think about updating it or changing the software or doing anything for security because it never connects the internet and it was just so refreshing and so nice to have a computer or any bit of hardware that you know normally connects the internet that you didn't have to constantly update it and especially the Raspberry Pi which takes you know quarter of an hour to do a full update if you haven't turned it on for six months or something it it was it's just so nice to have something and funnily enough later that day that I had this thought my phone needed an update there was like six apps on my phone to update I updated my server the Raspberry Pi that I have on my house which is connected to internet needed updates we just seem to spend our entire fucking life updating stuff and it's just so annoying and it's just so refreshing to have something that, because it's just sat in a box, like dumb, I never have to change it. It was, it was a, a thing that occurred to me and I absolutely loved it and I wondered if there was anything that either of you have that you are able to not update and not care about. I mean, even smartwatches need updates. It's ridiculous.
0: I was going to say, welcome to embedded computing. That's pretty much what all <laughs> embedded computing OEMs do. They don't bother with updates. But at least yours isn't connected to
2: the network yet.
0: I suppose if you were going to connect it to the network, you would update it, surely.
2: Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, if I uh, wanted to put a Wi-Fi dongle on it and then you know send the files over Wi-Fi, obviously I'd do an update. But by not having it yet, I'm more inclined not to do that. And also, it's quicker just to take the SD card out and, and shove it in my PC. Well, I mean,
1: as the lead of a rolling release Linux distribution,
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, I mean, I'm kind of envious on the one hand because if it's basically a black box not connected to the world, that's kind of nice in a way. Um, and But then there's another part of my mind. It's like, well, you could put some kind of exploit onto the SD card and it could be done, but... Pff, fuck it. Who cares?
2: Yeah, it could be. It'd be very difficult to know that... Yeah, that you had that vulnerable device
1: more. and it's going to go across from the SD card and it's going to... If you was a government official or something, okay, maybe, right? You know, blame Russia. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's a black box. It's not connected to inner. Best of luck to you. <laughs> Basically, I'm jealous.
2: <laughs> but is there, is there a way that you can have uh like a f- maybe not a phone but uh a laptop that you could lock down and make it read only in a way that you could avoid doing updates
1: no nah, i mean you've got running code that's kind of the problem so all the time something is being executed it's it's potentially vulnerable but that's kind of because the
2: problem. it's in ram and therefore it's basically
1: digital. yeah i mean many projects today especially linux distributions are changing the way a lot of their binaries are being built So they're using something called full railroad, which basically means that it's, you know, it's read only uh, for relocations, which mitigates a lot of the concerns. But again, when you have running code, there is always going to be a way, you know, it's kind of like trying to stop a river. So, yeah, I mean, on a laptop or something, if it ever connects to the internet, keep it updated. Always keep it updated. It doesn't matter what it is. If it connects to the internet, update it. If you don't get updates, the company's a dickhead. It's basically as simple as that.
2: So what if you have uh, like these siloed or sandbox applications? What if you have, you know, snaps, which while I know it runs code, but that code can only go as far as the wall in which it's been placed.
1: Yeah, but it's the same with containers. So like if you have Docker containers, Docker containers are so secure. Everything's running inside the container until they're not because you're using the same kernel. So if it's on Linux, you're using the same kernel. If there is any surface area in the kernel to exploit, which over time there will be, you can escape that sandbox. So, yeah. And here's a little trick for you if you're ever bored, right? If you ever set up any, ty- any type of container or anything like that, if you have root permissions inside the container, that's already enough to escape outside the container, which people think that once you're root inside there, you're confined as root within that container. Bollocks! All you have to do is true proc1pwd, S-E-W-D, and I'll even give you the command later on so you can try it yourself. You've then done a true to the current marking directory of PID1, <laughs> which is then outside of your container. That's as easy as it is to escape. So sometimes you do have valid cases where you are root inside of these containers, and it's that simple to get out of them, right? You just use the proc system. So... Even all that side, even if that wasn't there, imagine now you had a kernel level exploit which allowed you to elevate to root and you're inside this container. You elevate root and then you true it again and you escaped outside the container and now you are in your files fucking up your system. <laughs> it it the only the only real way around that is basically virtualization, full virtualization. It's the only safety there because then you're running different kernels. You're running a different stack. It's completely insulated from the rest of the system. You could break the VM itself in theory, but then it'd be very, very, very almost impossible. I'm not going to say completely impossible to then get out of that. But at that point, it's going to be hardware specific as well, like something wrong with the CPU itself, uh, which led to like some kind of execution fault. So virtualization is really what you'd need there, not containers, not dockers and all this fancy stuff.
2: Is that the same for um, LXC containers as well?
1: yeah all containers if it's not used in virtualization there is a way to escape it you know they they do a lot to make things better they hide a lot of things but you're sharing the same kernel as the host for a start so if you can escape the container you can then also break the host because again it's the same kernel right so you've now escaped outside of this container where you've already elevated root outside of the container goodbye. I mean, they do a lot to alleviate, and a lot of them try and enforce that you aren't rooting there. But once you get to the point where there is a vulnerable component in the stack, then a container is not going to save you.
2: Okay, so I'm living in a world of Pac Man, SYU, forevermore. You,
1: you, well, I mean, you could replace Pac Man with uh, I mean, something else. All oh, right, let's, let's not go
2: down there. Let's not go down there. You know a package, maybe? No, apt, obviously. <laughs> do the admin, Joe, please.
0: Okay, yeah. So. Yeah, we did this special episode about Ubuntu and stuff last time. um, But the one before that, we talked about having PayPal donations and Patreon and and stuff like that. And thank you so much to everyone who's joined the Patreon and and sent PayPal donations. It's been amazing. So thank you, everyone. Um, I don't really want to start naming names. So if you want us to specifically give you a shout out, then let us know somehow uh late night slash contact for ways to do that but otherwise just going to give a general thank you to everyone um so yeah it's really appreciated and if you want to join the people who've done that already then late night slash support there's a ton of ways you can do that and um you can help us get towards that dream of not having to have a terrible day job and maybe one day doing some sort of podcasting and that kind of thing so yeah thanks everyone um and, oh, yeah, Fostalk Live is sold out now. I say sold out. It was free to get a ticket, which means that if you've got a ticket, you're guaranteed to get into all the shows. Um, but if you want to come, then on the 24th of June this year at 6 p.m. at the Harrison, which is near King's Cross in London, come and see us, um, minus IK, Um, doing a live recording uh, along with the Ubuntu podcast and Linux Voice and... Um, Stuart Langridge and Dave Megaslippers from uh, Bad Voltage and Geek News Radio. It should be a good night. Um, you can't get a ticket now, which means you're not guaranteed to get in, but if you come anyway, you could probably just sneak in or something, and not everyone's going to want to watch all the shows. But, um, but yeah, thanks to everyone who got a ticket for that as well.
2: Yeah, also thanks to uh, everyone who got in touch regarding my last pass woes and the general discussion about that. Uh, I've been recommended uh, N Pass, Pass, Keypass, Keypass X, Keypass XC, uh, and then a bunch of sort of Android um, tag ons that allow you to use those various ones in different ways. Um, And I'm slowly working my way through them to work out which one's the most recent. Uh, I got a lot of info from John the Nice Guy, so uh, thanks to him. And I did look today, just dipping my toe into the dangerous waters, I I looked at exporting all of my. Passwords and everything from LastPass, and it just gives it to you in one big, long, plain text file, and just sort of sc- scrolling through that, thinking, oh, all of this pr- privileged information is, uh, is just in a text file. So I quickly uh, close that. But um, also, we had uh, some feedback from Eric T that I thought just sort of summed up the, the point about Ubuntu very nicely as we're about to just talk about some updates on that. And he said, This is the beauty of Linux. A major player decides to drop a key element of its environment and uses our. Nah. Imagine if Ubuntu was a walled garden like Apple and you were stuck there. Uh, I think that's that's a fair point, you know, the fact that Ubuntu has has dropped its its flagship desktop environment and has moved over to something else and while a lot of people had things to say about it, I think the the general view was, they can do that. If I don't like Gnome, I can choose XFCE or KDE or whatever it might be. There are options. So it, it is nice being in this this environment, and you, you have the options. But uh, as I say, we're, we're now going to go and uh, move on to chat about some of the updates since that Ubuntu announcement.
0: Yeah, so we did a whole show about it. So we shouldn't probably talk too much, but some stuff has happened in the last kind of week and a half. And I suppose the first one is that Ubuntu Gnome is going to merge with the main edition. So basically, Ubuntu Gnome is going to go away but it's not going to go away. It's more, I suppose, the main edition is going to go re- really, and you're going to end up with just Ubuntu GNOME, which is good in a way because it's not a duplication of effort, but it, as far as I can see, it's a validation of my view that, and my opinion that they are looking to distance themselves canonical from the desktop and trying to offload as much of it as possible and, and have as little to do with it as possible, especially given that they've said that they're not going to customize it At all, hardly. They're basically going to just ship stock GNOME. Yeah, I was wrong.
1: They're and I and I can't believe I was wrong about this, but they're crowdsourcing the desktop. Their brand assets. It's yeah. So yeah, I was wrong. So I was right. Yes.
2: Well, hang on a minute. I mean, the, the point that the what they're saying there is that. They aren't going to shuffle the way in which Gnome has its things placed. So yeah, they could have gone a long way in order to have the the main bar on the left-hand side, like they always did, full, top to bottom. They could have you know, moved things around so that it looked a lot like unity. But was running on gnome and, and they've said you know gnome have put a lot of effort into deciding on how things should be and how they should look, and they are you know they're a dedicated desktop environment team let's let's leave it to the professionals in this case, but it doesn't mean they're not going to you know colorize it and and have the sort of environment feel and look like they would expect it to be in Ubuntu. They might have the same window borders, the same, you know, desktop wallpaper, the same icons, those sorts of things that they can switch out very quickly and not have to move every single time they do an update.
0: Yeah, but it's still going to be Gnome. They're not
1: going to customize it, you know, beyond a bit of window dressing. Jesse, do you know how hard it is to change a wallpaper on a distro? I mean, some distros <laughs> just
2: exist just to prove how hard it is to change a wallpaper you <laughs> no respect for exactly. this <laughs> you, you don't know how many people we got writing in when we'd mentioned the wallpaper when we we're doing a review on Luddites <laughs> and they would be like do you know you can change the fucking wallpaper it's like, all right all right."
0: <laughs> not that you can actually use the desktop on GNOME though unless you ex, you know use loads of extensions and uh, you know we've seen a lot of people blogging about this i mean i have seen at least three blog posts i think one from popey um uh, one from stuart langridge um i think there's one on omg ubuntu basically saying use these extensions and you can make gnome into unity but it, it seems like canonical aren't going to do that they're, they're not going to make it feel the same even though it is relatively straightforward to do that certainly if you have spent any development time doing it and um you know, you can then push out a release that feels very much like Unity. But it I don't know, what, why is it that they're not going to do that? It wouldn't be that much effort, would it? I mean, these extensions... Um, Ike, you know much more about this. Are these extensions official extensions or are these third-party things?
1: Uh, that, that's kind of blurred. There's a small handful of official extensions which exist in the normal Shell extensions, but there's a lot on GitHub and things like that. It's not to say they couldn't be used, you know. I think from their perspective, you, you can't move forward when you've got one leg stuck in the mud. And I think yeah. that's kind of the approach they're taking here. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see how it pans out. I, I honestly can't, and I mean this with all respect to the known developers. I cannot see them shipping with things like the Edwada theme or anything like that. So I think there will be the, the typical level of distro integration, which they wouldn't call customization. You know, like you say, wallpapers, fonts, um, gtk themes icon themes i'm just hoping they actually come up with the GT- new gtk theme personally <laughs> what some people
0: will use something other than um what
1: is it you use um well i know i use arc but the one that they're using and have been using since 1946 uh they have oh, what's it called uh ambience and radiance oh yeah which have been around since what ubuntu 9 ubuntu 10 or something Man, it
0: looks alright to me. I've i I've never had it's any dead. issue with
1: the aesthetics. Well, well. But yeah, I mean they're they're more free to do things that they wouldn't have been able to do before because you know, it was it was Unity. That was what Unity looked like. Unity has humanity, you know. There's all these expectations of what Unity is. By dropping all of that, they're kind of more free to not do any of that anymore. So perhaps they could do things like use an existing GTK theme by default. You know, use new icon theme. There's there's a lot of things they can do now and they can, they can refine it. Don't get me wrong. It's pretty easy to do. You can prepackage norm shell extensions. You can configure it to use them out of the box. So, we'll but say, it doesn't sound like they're going to do that though.
0: It sounds like to me that they're going to ship stock. No, oh, they wouldn't. And then they wouldn't. And then I, I think
1: that's what they're going to no, do. And I think no, that's what's no, going to happen. Nobody would do that. Nobody's that crazy. <sighs> no, because, and I, again, I mean this with all respect, but my God. Stock gnome is ugly. <laughs> oh, no, okay, no, I don't.
0: Well, right by stock gnome, I don't mean fucking hideous. You know, yeah, I don't mean stock theme. You know, obviously they'll they'll use uh, they'll make it aesthetically a bit nicer, but functionality-wise, I think
1: it's going to be stock. And I, I think probably, gonna, probably. I mean, I mean, what 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 extensions would you add to it? There's a question for you.
0: Well, I don't know. I don't give a shit about gnome. <laughs> To be honest, I'm happy with XFC, especially given that it seems like they're actually starting to port it to GTK2
1: for you. Well, I was just about to say,
0: Hmm? just about to say they're starting to port it (laughs) to GTK3. I was getting very worried about it, but it's starting to happen slowly but surely. But anyway, that's all right.
2: All right, let's 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 draw it back to the Ubuntu chat. And let's let's just let's just skip off the GNOME thing. With with they move into GNOME, we're all good about that. But the other thing that they are dropping is the uh, they're obviously they're not going to support phones and tablets forever and ever. And they have said that the deadline for security patches for the phones and tablets is June of this year,
0: which is a big fuck you to anyone who ever bought one because the the last phone I think it's the Meizu MX four or five something like that doesn't really matter now. The last Ubuntu phone that you could buy, by my reckoning, was still available for sale in June 2016, which means that you get one year of security updates. Now, okay, the argument is, well, look at Android, you're lucky to get one update with that, you're lucky to get six months of updates. Um, But wasn't the whole fucking point of this that you got security updates? The one thing that it had going for it was that it had security updates, it, you know, the the one thing that I praised it for was that they had this commitment to be like a proper Linux distro that actually gave a shit about security and gave you updates long-term. Meanwhile, you buy this phone, 12 months later, fuck you, no more security updates. That, to me, is just, like, you know, their, their way of saying, like, not only are we not going to make this anymore, but we are just going to burn that bridge. We're just going to watch the world burn basically when it comes to the phone and that to me is just fucking outrageous
2: so they're looking at getting rid of i've seen reports of of 80-ish people and if you're getting rid of all those people and maybe other people are moving within canonical so they're not actually leaving per se they're just going on to different jobs you can't have a group of people staying doing something which is unproductive which you're trying to put a a bullet in the head of and then continue it for another year just to sort of have it tick over
0: yes that's fair enough but they sold a consumer product that you that anyone could buy right if it was a nexus 7 version of it or the nexus 4 which was an image you had to physically yourself download and flash onto a device and you had to do fast boot oem unlock you had to know what you were doing with that right if they just abandoned that like that that's fine because that was a community thing. And there were no expectations of long-term updates. Um, Well, I mean, there were some expectations, but I think it's fair enough to do that. But a consumer product that you can buy with money, it's just not right for them to abandon it like this. They should have, yes, it's going to cost them money, money that they don't want to spend, but they could have put a skeleton team together to, to work on this, to give you updates for at least another year. So at least you got two years out of it if not ideally three. I mean, they never had any commitment to long-term support or anything like they do with the desktop and the server, which is five years. But surely people were thinking, people were expecting at least three, like the flavors, if not five years, and certainly not one year. And so to me, I'm just, I'm not having it. I think that there is a, they, they're trying to tighten their belts, but they could have found money for this. They should have found money for this. And if I had bought one of those phones and was actually using it, and it wasn't just stuck in a drawer, then I'd be mightily pissed off right now.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah. I you know halfway through that rant tirade, I was sort of started thinking, yeah, two months is difficult. End of twenty seventeen gives you time to accept you're not going to get any new applications, or you're only going to get updates to those app, you know, those few applications but you can at least still use your phone and slowly move away from it or get something new. Two months isn't long, and you're right. You probably don't need 20 people just to tick over with security updates. Um, uh, They've also said that you won't be able to buy applications from the App Store after that date. So anyone who has a paid app has to decide whether to pull it entirely or allow it for free for people to download on their no longer secure phone. so yeah, there's that that sort of uh, issue as well. Can we just talk about the job losses aspect of this, right? Now,
0: I've heard conflicting reports of the number of people who've been fired or about to be fired, which we'll get onto in a second. But in terms of this Ubuntu phone situation and convergence, basically Unity 8, Ubuntu Touch and Convergence, right? Let's say, conservatively, there were 20 people working full-time on that. Now, from what I've read, I don't think that is unreasonable to say. So for seven years, that's uh, 20 people working full-time on it, probably more. 20 times 7 is 140 person years. 140 working years, at least, were spent on Unity 8, Ubuntu Touch, and Convergence. And yet it was shit. Shit to the point where they've had to kill it. What the fuck went wrong?
2: Where's your Where's your seven years come from? Well, that's how long they worked on it. Surely not all the time. Like phones only came out like three years ago.
0: Well, it was unveiled on the 2nd of January 2013, according to Wikipedia. So that's four years then. All right. So let's say 20 people for four years. That's 80 man years then. All right. My math checks out, I think, on that. I think I can just about do that. So, well, person years, sorry, I should be more politically correct about it. So, let's say that not all of that was development. You know, not all of those people were developers. Some were management and advocacy and that kind of stuff. So, let's say half of that, 40 years, right? 40 working years were spent developing it. And let's say that you've got inefficiencies due to scale, right? That's inevitably going to happen. So, let's say 20 years. Now, Ike, you're a developer, you've got 20 years that I'm going to pay you your salary, a decent salary, do you reckon you could do better? 20 working years to make something better, and you've got to make Unity 8 the phone, you've got to work out how to do all the Android stuff,
1: and you've got to uh, make convergence happen better than they did. I wouldn't believe that they was working full-time on each and every person. Because typically you have multiple things that you're doing.
0: Well, yeah, but that's why I've scaled it down, because there were more people there. There are more people being laid off. There's reports of up to 80 being laid off. So that's why I'm being very conservative in saying 20.
1: Okay, so we've also got to think there are multiple form factors. There is the UI toolkit that they built, the GL-based toolkit, which they basically adapted. Then there's all the QML component libraries they built on top of that as well. The extra cute widgets, the shell, uh, mirror itself, extra work on GTK and Q. There was Hybris involved in that as well and some kernel stuff. So maybe they just bit off more than they could chew. So you couldn't do all that in 20 years? I didn't
0: say that. <laughs> Answer the question then, man. Could you have done it? Better
1: than they did in twenty years of your. The point is, I wouldn't have done it. <laughs> right, I think that's that's kind of the core point there because I think for what they were trying to do, there, there was too much involved in there. um There was a an avoidance of overstacks, and I think that was kind of the downfall in the end. Obviously, that wasn't really the reason it was closed down. Obviously, it was fiscally motivated, but the. Had they gone about it a slightly different way with a view towards integration rather than differentiation, I think they could have pulled it off. Okay, well, another thing I wanted to ask you about was um, the layoffs.
0: Now, there are certain laws in certain countries that make it difficult to lay people off. And there are other countries where it's really easy. And so some people have already been laid off. And there were some people just contracted not full-time. You work for a large international tech company. Mm -hmm. uh and you are based in the eu so i assume the laws are similar to Mm. the ones here in the uk at least for now let's not (laughs) make me cry about that um have they done anything out of the ordinary in making people wait uh a week and a half plus at this point nearly two weeks to find out whether they're getting fired
1: sadly no i mean this is this is just how it goes unfortunately You know, public is basically made aware of it. The intention is out there. It doesn't come as a surprise to anyone except for the people who then will, you know, be laid off. Then there is the compliance with the laws. They got to check in each region exactly what they can do that they're operating within those laws. So it's public information before you know yourself that you're actually going. Um, which is obviously, it's it's hard for everyone involved. I mean, you know, from the employees themselves up to the, the managers doing it. Um, but nothing is odd from what I see about the way they're doing that. It's just how these things go, unfortunately.
0: Right, right. It seemed odd to me because I've only ever worked for really small companies where it was just like, you know, easy bus fare, piss off.
1: Yeah, on, on your bike sort of thing. But no, this one, you know, it, it's a larger company that kind of needs to be out in the public. It's like, okay, here's what we're doing. These are the whys and the whats. And then it's like, okay, this is us now streamlining. And then people go. It's just how it is. I imagine it'd be very similar for me as well if such a situation
2: arose.
0: Yeah. So, Jesse, you work for a massive company that isn't a tech company. Is it the same deal? Would it be the same deal with them?
2: It's really hard for them to sack people. And you'd have to have a a solid argument, like, you know, like this one, like a financial point of view, a change in business, yada, yada. Um, But the process of going through, um, what your redundancy package will be, uh, whether there are other jobs that you can have, da da da. I, if I was to be told that I was going to lose my job, I would work at that company for at least three weeks, if not four, before I walked out the door. So it is a very long process to get kicked out.
0: Yeah. Okay.
2: It's it's, it's weird, and uh, I've you know I've seen people. Go, there was a guy who was not just underperforming; he was just useless and lazy and terrible and it was documented that he was terrible and it took three weeks four weeks to get rid of him through various hr processes and what have you it was ridiculous but at the same time they're the laws that you know protect us from nasty bosses and things so it's, it's
1: you know well, it depends on your contract as well because typically in the tech industry your contract will have a clause where you can be wall gardened so you might not be officially terminated on the day that you tell everyone that you're sacked but you've been wall-gardened for like three or four weeks. And then, you know, HR would contact you with a follow-up, perhaps an offer or something. But effectively, you're not at the company. So if you are that guy that is hell on earth to everybody else, you know, I mean, while you're you're technically still employed, you're gone. And that's fairly common um, for that clause to be there.
0: Well, one thing that I have to commend Canonical about with this whole thing is... Unlike Drupal, who we talked about earlier, all of the Canonical employees, apart from the ones who have been fired already, have been tight-lipped about it. Trying to get any information out of Popey and Wimpy, who are my friends, like even like in private, they have not told me a single thing that is not public knowledge, and they just are properly tight-lipped. So Canonical is running a tight ship, so fair play to them on that. They, they are professional with it. Um, It it seems very unfair the way they've gone about it, but by the sounds of um, the realities of this world, they had no choice but to do that. So I won't criticize them anymore about that. Um, Let's try and be a bit more positive and talk about um, UbiPorts. Now, UbiPorts was known for porting Ubuntu Touch to other devices like the OnePlus One and the Nexus 5, not officially supported ones. Um, And they have vowed, I suppose, to carry on with Ubuntu Touch and Unity 8, um, possibly integrating Wayland, possibly integrating Anbox, which is uh, a pretty cool thing that I couldn't get to work, which allows you to run Android apps on an Ubuntu desktop. And So they're going to try and make that work as well, which I think is massively important for uh, the success of any mobile operating system to be able to run Android apps. I know that's a controversial view, but there we go. But the big question is, do they have the resources to do this?
2: Um, and I, I
0: hope they do, but I fear they don't.
2: It's one thing to take uh, software that someone has has written and port it to another device. You know, it's already working for this device and that device, and we've included all these new updates and what have you. And then, uh, ubi UB, UB ports, ubi ports are moving it across to devices that it is not officially for. It's quite another thing to try and make the original software, update it, you know, keep it uh, alive and put it onto other, other devices. So, yeah, I, I think that's that's a big uh, step up in their commitment.
0: Well, there's also a separate Unity 8 fork, which is, seems to be more desktop-focused because although Ubiports kind of said a little bit about, well, maybe with the desktop and convergence, they seem to be more interested in the uh, the mobile side of things. Um, but it's called Unit with a y, YU. NIT unit hmm. was originally unity8.org, but then they quickly realized that, hmm, Canonical might sue us if we do that. So they've got this disclaimer this site and the unit project is not in any way endorsed or affiliated with Ubuntu or Canonical.
2: I, th- I think maybe the T is supposed to be emphasized more. Unit. Unity. Unity, (laughs) you muppet. All right, Oh,
1: oh, that's made me happy.
0: (laughs) Unit. (laughs) Well, it's spelled fucking unit. Okay, unity,
1: all right, yeah. Uh, I'm going to cherish this moment.
0: Well, maybe if they put a space and a capital T, I would have thought unit T. Okay, I'm thick, whatever. Anyway, this is a WordPress blog at this stage and not a lot more...
2: Yeah, it's a holding site, isn't it, ready for if, if it gains traction and if people show their support and they want to to contribute to the fork. So if you're mad keen on uh, Ubuntu Unity, then go and look at this uh, Unity 8 fork and we'll see if it actually springs legs or if it just is a a dead page from here on.
0: Well, let's quickly return to the um, the staff layoffs. And the fact that the CEO, Jane Silver, is leaving, now she said claims, I don't want to cast too many stones here, but she said that she was only supposed to be around for five years, she's been around for seven, she was going to be leaving soon anyway. But I mean, th- there's a whole corporate restructuring thing happening here, isn't there? That That's what underlies this whole thing, that Shuttleworth wants to get investment in and so he's had an assessment done of the company, and they've said, uh, you know, Unity, the desktop, phones, conversions, <laughs> oh, wow, yeah, let's just get rid of that. And now he's going to be back in charge and looking for investors and trying to make it profitable.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's streamlining, he's streamlining the portfolio, isn't he? Um, I, I personally don't believe that he's looking for investment. I think it's leading to a sale. But... Microsoft, that's Microsoft, my opinion. Microsoft. Um, no, I wouldn't say it'd be someone like Microsoft at all. Um, because they would, they must be well aware of the sort of blowback that that would cause. I would more think someone like a, like a hardware manufacturer or somebody involved in the cloud and enterprise. Um, I mean, that's just my personal belief. Don't take any stock in it because it could well turn out not to be true, you know. And at the end of the day, Ubuntu is still going to continue, still going to have the same talent and people involved. So, you know, don't go in mass panic and start quoting me on it, for fuck's sake! But <laughs> it's it is what it is. It's literally streamlining the business portfolio. You know these things are deemed inefficient or black holes financially. They're stopped, and the man himself is back in charge. So you know the writing's kind of on the wall there. As far as I'm concerned, I think it's telling. We were talking about the
0: Ubuntu twelve or four extended uh, security maintenance thing, where you can pay canonical to get security updates basically for Ubuntu 12.04 now that it's gone out of free support and we were speculating is it desktop is it servers well they did a follow-up blog post about that at insights.ubuntu.com and that more or less says that it's all about servers which was a bit of a surprise to me because in a way servers can be more easily upgraded because they're only really the only person who has to deal with them is a trained person, whereas desktops are more, you know, you kind of stick it in front of someone for five or ten years potentially. Look at XP, for example. <laughs> um, so it's it's a bit of a surprise in that way, but it's not a surprise given this recent announcement that they basically don't give a shit about the desktop anymore, and it's all about the cloud and stuff like that. So, yeah, we, I thought I'd um, stick a link for that anyway um, as a follow-up, but this whole story. It's not going to go away, is it? I mean, this is, there's no doubt. I mean, we did a special on it. We've spent ages talking about it now. This is the biggest thing that's happened in Linux uh, for ten years, probably.
1: Yeah, this is the this is the ongoing rhetoric of the day. Um, it, you know, it's the background noise now of Linux everywhere you go. What's Ubuntu doing next? Because this this won't be the end of it. Yeah, I mean, like I joked, you've you've
0: done this GNOME spin, and Jesse joked as well. Because of Ubuntu. I mean, everything sort of seems to be somehow in relation to Ubuntu, doesn't it? And mm. is that because we're in a bubble, because we're in Europe? I mean, or, you know, in English-speaking Europe, if you are in Germany, would you just be thinking, well, I don't give a shit, I'm using SUSE? Or if you're in America, would you be, well, I
1: don't give a shit, I'm using Red Hat? I don't know. I mean, Ubuntu is still one of the leaders in many areas. I think it's hard to ignore that.
0: Well... For now, at least, we'll see if they do sell out to Microsoft. Then, um, <laughs> I,
1: I won't be bloody using them anymore. I know that much. I don't think it'd be Microsoft. Either. I have a couple of ideas in mind, but I'm gonna sit on those. <laughs> so, let's see
0: hardware makers or cloud. You're not willing to talk about no, mm. no, no,
1: no, 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 not at all. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now you've pushed me into a corner, dickhead, right? <laughs> so if I was to think of anyone, I mean, the, the ideal candidates in my mind would be Dell or HP Enterprise. What for the, the cloud and server type stuff? Yeah. And uh, especially in terms of HP Enterprise, in terms of OpenStack, LXD and things like that. In In my mind, that would be someone who would be someone who would buy them up and wouldn't have a community blowback. Well, I would say that, except for HPE
0: just laid off a load of their OpenStack-type people, didn't they? So that suggests that they're not really interested in that stuff as much. Um, I say just. I don't know anyone who's not
1: interested in the cloud at the moment.
0: Yeah, true, (laughs) true.
1: You know, everybody's following the money, aren't they? There's a cash cow, and everyone's chasing it, Mm. and it's the cloud. And as IoT grows, the cloud grows, because the cloud powers IoT. There is a hand, it's a symbiosis, basically. So anyone who's not chasing cloud, I would be quite suspicious of, (laughs) to be honest.
0: Yeah, and well, there's an established commercial relationship between Canonical and Dell with the desktops and laptops. So,
1: A working business relationship already exists. So, Mm. I mean, if I was to eye up candidates, that's personally how I'd say it. But again, don't take any stock with it. Just see how it pans out.
0: Yeah,
1: I've heard speculation of Amazon before. I don't know. I think that's more people linking back the Unity Dash uh, with the search features. <laughs> I think that's probably got more to do with it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Amazon is huge. You know, like they was originally a sales company, but they're they're not that anymore. They're a cloud powerhouse. Well, arguably
0: they always were, and then the, the books and DVDs and media and true, stuff is true. just a, an addition for them. But yeah, uh, right. Any closing thoughts, then, Jesse?
2: I'm not sure we're on the biggest bit of news for ten years. I think there are the trends are bigger than this, but as as single bits of news go, you know, discrete pieces, uh, it's pretty huge. This is gonna gonna rumble on for a while. And I I guess we're likely to do a review of the real the first major release of it, see what they've they've done with GNOME, whether it is just, you know, uh a wallpaper change and some font changes, or whether it is more than that, but they say it'll roll on and uh, we'll review it as it goes. Yeah, so
0: 1704 is out and the flavors. Not much to say about that. It's a bit of a yonorama, really, except for Ubuntu Mate, I suppose. That's the asterisk there. They've now moved over to GTK3, so well done for that. Um, And it looks like 1710 will also be Unity, so the, the first proper release with GNOME is going to be an LTS, so that adds fuel to my fire saying that it's going to be totally stock and basically look at Ubuntu Gnome now if you want to look at what <laughs> Ubuntu proper is going to be like in 1804. Um, so yeah, I so suppose with that then we'd better wrap it up. Uh, we're back in a couple of weeks with episode 10. Can't believe it. Uh, well, let's not uh, get too excited until we actually get there, eh? So uh, yeah, until then, then I've been Joe.
2: I've been Jesse. Adios, partners. And I'm Saloki. See you later.